We have a couple of passages of scripture this morning. The first one uh, comes from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Hear now the reading of God's word. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, 24 through 27. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. This is the word of the Lord. Let's add to that passage one more. Let's turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and I want to read verses 1 through 11. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he got up from supper and laid aside his garments, taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So we came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in this text this morning, we um, look at a famous event. I don't know, probably everybody here knows about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. So we all know about this passage. So the question, though, is this. What explains it? Why does he do this? Why does this person at the head of the table, why does he go and get at the feet of his disciples and wash their feet? Why does he do this? Well, the answer is this. There's another question that's in their minds. Do you all know the, the, the question? Now, Mr. Seaman just read it. I usually call him Ben, but I said, Mr. Seaman just read it, right? 
What, what's on their minds in Luke 22? Who's the greatest? <laughs> Who's the greatest? This is what's in their minds. And so Jesus knows. We're, we're talking right now. Jesus is in the upper room 15, 18 hours before he gets to the cross. Jesus knows he's got to bury something in their minds. He's got to give them some instruction. That's Luke 22. And he's got to give them an illustration. That's in John 13. He needs to instruct them that the, who the greatest is in the kingdom of heaven. They, they want to know who's number one. And Jesus is going to instruct them about spiritual greatness. He's going to do something in this passage. And then he's going to do something the next day that's even lower than what he does in our passage. In their minds, they're thinking, who's the greatest? Now, I don't know about you. I don't, I'm not too much on um, my, my father-in-law. He used to try to explain to me what was going on on these racetracks and cars getting loose and cars being tight and all these sort of things. And, and so, But I do know one thing. The fastest car always is in the what position? The pole position. The fastest guy in a 100-meter dash who gets to the finals is always in lane four or lane five. This is how it works. And so these guys are worried and wondering, well, who is number one? You know, when I was in the eighth grade, I had a coach. <laughs> we used to march around the, the school, and I could still remember him saying, who is the fastest guy? And, some, and all the guys would say, so-and-so is the fastest guy, and that happened to be me. And then say, who is the strongest guy? Well, this is what they're thinking. Who's the greatest in the midst of these disciples? And so this is what's on their mind. And so do you think that it's, Anybody's going to think about washing people's feet? <laughs> I mean, when you're thinking who's the greatest, you're certainly not thinking about doing something as menial as getting down and dirty with somebody's feet. So they're in a borrowed room. Uh, there's no servant in this room, and they completely omitted foot washing. Now, why is that important? Well, because it's the first thing you do before you eat. If you go read the Bible, the first thing you do before you eat is you have foot washing time, and so let me give you an idea how this works. So in Luke chapter 7, Jesus has been invited to somebody's house, a guy named uh, Simon. And so he's in Simon's house, and a woman comes in, and she begins to cry. Now, obviously, she's heard the gospel at some point in time in the past, and she's coming, and she's um, going to love Christ. He's at his feet while he's at the table, leaning on the left arm, eating with the right arm, with all the fellas right there. He, she's at the feet. And so she begins to wash his feet with tears. Then she begins to kiss his feet with her lips. And then she breaks open this little vial of perfume and pours the vial on top of his feet. And Jesus looks at Simon and says, You have omitted customary hospitality. You should have given me the foot washing treatment. You should have kissed me on the cheek. And you should have put some perfume on my head. He rebuked him for his lack of hospitality. And here we have the same thing going on here because these men are thinking about me, myself, and I. So here's Jesus with them the last time before he goes to the cross. We're looking at 15, 18 hours before the cross and he's got to instruct them. He's got to teach them about spiritual greatness. What does it look like? And so the first point this morning is this, the instruction, the instruction of spiritual greatness. And we find that in Luke 22. Worldly greatness looks like this. Worldly greatness are kings sitting around being served. 
worldly greatness are kings reclining at tables and people waiting on them and bringing them stuff to eat. And then they go beyond that because they're the king. They tell people what to do. And so that's worldly greatness. Now, there's, there's nothing really wrong with worldly greatness. I like worldly greatness. Let me tell you why. Worldly greatness means that men back in California who own 20,000 acres worth of trees, they need people to work for them. And those people who work for them, maybe like you or me, we go and we work for them and they, get, they give us some money because we work for them. And so we like people who have businesses, who own businesses, because those people need you know, nurses to work for them, like Dr. Leilaglu. He, he's, he's got a, a pediatric practice, so he's probably got some people working for him. So we like that worldly greatness. Nothing really wrong with worldly greatness at this point, but Jesus says the kingdom of God is different than that. He says, in the kingdom of God, he says in verse 26, it is not this way with you in the kingdom of God. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. Who is greater, we just heard? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? We would say worldly greatness, the one who's reclining, the one who's being served, the one who's telling people what to do. But Jesus says, I am among you as the one who serves. So spiritual greatness, and you could look at it. I like what it says here. It says that you must become the youngest. You must become like the least in, the, in order to be great in the kingdom. And I, I think about the Apostle Paul. You know what he says? I'm the least of all the sinners. What does he mean by that? Well, it means that he's no longer putting any confidence in his flesh. He's no longer putting any confidence in his own merits, his own works. And out of that relationship now that he has with Christ from that Damascus Road experience, you know what he does? He gets down on his hands and knees and he loves and he serves and he gives labor of love to the people of God. He goes out and preaches the gospel. Now, we've been studying about Simon Peter and we're going to see that Jesus is going to wash his feet. We just read about that interaction, but before we get there, John wants to impress something on us. And remember, John's the apostle of love. And so John wants to impress on us the motivation of this greatness before we actually get to Peter and his feet being washed by Jesus. So the first thing we do is we see the instruction given in verse in Luke chapter 22, and now we turn to John chapter 13, and we're going to look at the motivation of spiritual greatness. And just look at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He doesn't want, listen, he doesn't want to leave them just with this person over here washing feet. He wants to tell them why he's doing it. <laughs> In other words, he's going to give us some commentary before he, we get to the foot washing episode. So we have this instruction and we're going to have an illustration, but he wants to impress on us that Jesus will go this low because of love. This is why he's doing this. His hour is at hand, and it says that he's going to love them to the end. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember growing up, and you know what we used to say? To the max. Did you ever say that? To the end. To the, I didn't never say to the uttermost. That might, that's an older person saying that. But I would say to the max. <laughs> right? <laughs> to the max. I'm going to do this to the max, and Jesus loves them to the max. Some people might say to the hilt. And we, we all know John 3.16. It says, for God so loved. And then when you say so loved, this is infinite love. 
infinite degree of love. How, do we, how does he measure our, our, what's the manner of that love? Well, he gives his son. And God, he does this out of love for us. And Jesus has this same kind of infinite love for his disciples to the max, to the highest degree that he loves them and he loves you and me. And in this event, the foot washing, it speaks of his love for them, and he wants to, incult, to cultivate that love in them. Jesus can do this. He's going to do this. He's going to do this. And the next day, he's going to do this again. He's going to love them, and he's going to love them again. Get that in your minds. He's going to love them. He's going to love them again. Because he can. He can do something that's unthinkable. He can do something and stoop so low, even when he knows they're going, what they're thinking about that day. What are they thinking about? Selfishness. And he's going to love them again the next day when he knows, and even tells them, I know you're going to scatter. Oh, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> and he's going to love Peter again, even after he denies him three times the next few moments later. He's going to love them again because he loves them to the max. So he loves and he loves again. Don't you need to know that? <laughs> Don't you need to know that he loves you and he's going to love you again? I, I, like, I, I need to know that. Do you know there's no pit so bad and deep that you can fall into that he will not come? And did you know that there's a place, there's no ditch on the side of the road where you can be beaten and left half and robbed and left almost for dead, that he won't get off his donkey and walk over and take care of you and raise you up? Do you know there's no great fish that can take you so deep into the sea that he won't hear you when you cry out and pray? There's no place that he can't hear and come and meet your need. He will love you and he will love you again. Levitic, I mean, Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God knows all their sins. God knows all his disciples' shortcomings, and yet he washed their feet and he did it again the next day. Jesus knows every one of my inconsistencies. He knows all of our infirmities. He knows every thought we wish unthought. He knows every word we wish unspoken. He knows every act we wish undone. He knows all of these things. He knows when we say, please forgive me. He knows, Lord, all my Lord save me. He knows all I'm sorry. And he knows every time we're about to quit. And folks, that is the biggest temptation of in the world. Just ask yourself. <laughs> Man, I'm going to quit. I'm just going to quit. I, I, don't you ever hear that? I've met one person used to really, really got me. <laughs> he told me, I never think that. I'm going, where are you from, man? <laughs> we all think about quitting. He knows all of this. And yet you wake up the next day. I used to put it this way sometimes when somebody would talk to me, I'd counsel with them. I'd go, did your daughter put her hand in your hand today, sir? Why do you say that to me? I said, she doesn't know what you're going through, but she still loves you. Why would you do that? Why would God love you again? Well, this is how he is. He loves and he loves again. And you and I need to know that he loves us to the max. His mercies are new every morning. And not only do you need to know this, you need to emulate this. You need to copy this. That's what emulate means. It means to copy 
this example. And so you and I, we need to get up from our tables of, of our great great positions at our table and we need to humble ourselves and follow Jesus example and we need to learn to wash each other's feet but only love will enable us to do this and you and I we need to make no mistake that our love is never going to be a love that saves anybody from their sins only Jesus love can do that but you and I we have the love of God working in us we've been talking about that with our men's group we've been talking about Romans 5, where it talks about the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. It's so good. Isn't that a good verse? So here's the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts. And we're going to be enabled to rank ourselves, to take ourselves down some notches so that we can do these kind of menial tasks for each other. Good Shepherd Orthodox Presbyterian Church, are you ready to love like this? <laughs> let me tell you what is, let me tell you the temptation. Here's the temptation. The temptation is to come in here and sit down and wait to be served. The temptation is to come in here and sit down and wait for somebody to talk to me. The temptation is to come in here and wait for somebody to offer me a cup of coffee. But Jesus says, you come in and you go and talk to somebody else. Jesus says, you come in and you be the one who instigates the conversation. Now, you know, we're going to bumble it sometimes. Man, we're just human beings. We're going to bumble it sometimes. But you try, and then you try again. Right? But you don't sit there and wait. You get up and you go and you love. The temptation is going to be to sit in a chair. The temptation is going to be to wait on somebody to come. And, the temp and so we, we kill that temptation and we get up and we follow Jesus' example. We love and we go love again. Now, uh, this love enables you and enables me to love inconsistent children. Anybody got in inconsistent children? This enables us to love an inconsistent spouse. This is going to enable us to love mm, inconsistent church members. And sometimes we have people, we want them to do things and they don't do what we want them to do and mm, we don't want to maybe show them love, but we have to show them love if we're going to follow this example. This love enables us to love people again. Well, third, the trampling of spiritual greatness. It's, it's, it can be trampled, this love. When we receive this instruction and when we begin to be motivated by love, our love is going to be trampled. In John 13, 2 and 3, it says, During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Now think about this. Jesus is at the supper. And the devil's already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. This is already in play betrayer's at the table and he's got 30 pieces of silver in that pouch why doesn't Jesus not just rise up from this table and denounce this traitor why doesn't he just bark down fury and fire on this person that he's loved for over three and a half years why doesn't he just condemn him as judge and jury right on the spot well, let me give you three answers First, Jesus does not pour out the wrath on Judas because he knows the great conflict has to take place, has to play out. In Genesis 3.15, we talked about this from time to time, you know, somewhere we're going to talk about it, right? The seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman are head to head in the same room in this passage, head to head. 
We've got the seed of the serpent whispering into Judas's ear and, being, and suggesting to him to do the things that he's going to do. And we've got the seed of the woman right there in front of him. Head to head, this thing has to play out. And Jesus has all power given into his hands and Judas is going to do everything he can to trample on this love. The great conflict has to play out. Second, Jesus does not pour out his wrath on Judas because he knows that he wins. Did you read those words in verse 3? Jesus knows that the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus knows where he came from. Jesus knows where he's going, and he knows that he wins. He knows he's going back to God. I love this. I, one of the commentators said, this is compressed language. I, don't you like that kind of talk? <laughs> it's like this one sentence says that Jesus knows where he came from. We could expand on that. Jesus knows that he's got to go through the cross, and he knows where he's going to end up. He wins. Jesus knows he's going to win. I mean, Judas is going to do something that's absolutely reprehensible. But all authority is where? All authority is in his hands. He wins. He knows he wins. No matter what Satan and no matter what his uh, minion is going to do. Third, and here's a powerful thought. Jesus does not pour out wrath on Judas's head. That this man is about to trample his love because he knows that this labor of love may be the means that melts Judas' sin-hardened heart. Jesus, if you go back and you study that passage, you'll see that Jesus is trying. Jesus is wooing. Jesus is giving this man every chance to turn the corner. Jesus is pouring out burning coals on his heads with the hope of turning him from this sinful response. It's his love that will be trampled at times. It won't be always appreciated. This morning, consider this trampling of Jesus' love. Here's Judas and here's Jesus washing his feet. Here's Judas and here's Jesus serving him the Lord's Supper. Here's Judas and here's Jesus. After all these years, he's wooing him to come, to repent, to turn from this course of action. And yet we see this man who's been with Jesus for three and a half years with a heart of stone, with 30 pieces of silver in his pocket. The one he calls master, he will trample. I want you to consider this morning how close you can be to Jesus' love and not know him at all. Wow. Am I here trampling this love? Young people, I want you to think about, what are you thinking about when you're in a worship service? What are you thinking about? What are, our, what are our kids, what's on our kids' minds? You have parents. You've been brought into this world by believing parents and your parents are bringing you into the kingdom of God. This is the visible kingdom of God and you are here with somebody. Sometimes, maybe you think he's crazy, but he's preaching and he's serious. Serious about this. And your parents loved you enough and many of you have been brought for baptism. And you've had water poured on your head and God has said, I claim you to be mine. I put my name on you. Wonderful benefits. All these are wonderful things. And you have parents who, yes, they're imperfect and no, they're not exactly always saying the right things and doing the right things. And yes, they have to say they're sorry. But you know what? They're teaching you and they're bringing the word of God to you. And what are you thinking when you think about the water? Here's water in this passage. 
This water preaches the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from my sin. What are we thinking when we hear the word of God preached? We've had this instruction about worldly greatness and spiritual greatness. What are we thinking when we hear the word of God preached? We see this water, and yet the word of God tells us that when the water of God's word washes over us, am I being washed, or is it going off me like a duck, like a, off a duck's back? Am I receiving the word in humility? Am I receiving it implanted, which is able to save my soul? What am I thinking when the Lord's Supper is being served? Here we are, we're getting ready next week, we're going to have a Lord's Supper. Some of us are not taking the elements, and some of us are taking the elements. The question is, these things are right in front of you, and they preach the blood of Jesus Christ, cleansing from sin. They preach a broken body for our salvation. What am I thinking when the water's in front of me? What am I thinking when the word is preached? What am I thinking when the bread and the wine are right in front of me? We can be so close to these things. Have I taken Christ as my Savior? Something's keeping Judas from Christ. Maybe it's the money. He's got something in his pocket. He's got 30 pieces of silver. Something's keeping him from Jesus Christ. Is something keeping you from Jesus Christ? We can be so close to Jesus Christ. We can be so close to the things of Jesus Christ and be missing him, not knowing him. I Think about it like this. I, I was going to say we have um, water and bread and wine and a, a black book, but my book isn't black. My book is slate be so close to all the things of Jesus Christ and not know him ask this question to you yourself are you with Judas or are you with Jesus are you going to walk out of here and trample him are you with Jesus which one are who are you with do you love him or are you going to walk away he walks away that night having had his feet washed by Jesus own hands why do I ask this? Somebody said, well, why do you ask this question? Well, it's right here in the, on the text, face of the text. What is Judas thinking when Jesus is washing his feet? And what is Judas thinking when Jesus is washing all these other disciples' feet? What is he thinking when he says, when, he, when the Lord says, one of you is going to betray me, and he says, is it I? What is he thinking? What are we thinking this morning? Let us... Let us make sure that we leave this morning knowing we're not in that position. Would you be spiritually great? Let's turn the corner and talk about us for a second. If you would rank yourself in the kingdom of God, if you would go down and go this low, you need to be ready for your love not to always be appreciated. <laughs> Are you ready for your love not to be appreciated? I see some smiles over here. Sometimes it's going to hurt. I went over with Pastor Mark the other day, a few months back, and Pastor Mark and I went with somebody, and we did it because we loved, we were doing it because of love. <laughs> and we were pleading, <laughs> but we did it out of love. We had no chance of this person coming to this church, but we did it because it was right. Sometimes our love is not going to be appreciated, but what do we do? Well, if they won't come to church, we can still pray. But don't let your heart be bitter and sour. Well, finally, and let's end with this. Uh, spiritual greatness. It's identity. 
Notice what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus knows who he is. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, then he got up. See, Jesus knows he's not of the world. Jesus knows where he came from. Jesus knows where he's going. Jesus knows who he is. Because he knows who he is, guess what he can do? He doesn't worry about himself. He doesn't worry about his reputation. He's unconcerned. He can get up from the table and he can go and do menial things because he's going to go back and sit down at the top of the head of the table anyway. He knows who he is. Have you ever heard that little story about the CEO? You know, we have the stories about the... Don't they have some television shows about the CEO that comes down from the top of the tower and he puts on clothes like a normal guy and he disguises himself and nobody really knows who he is? Well, so you think, Jesus, here we are. I can be the president of the company. And I can come down and I know, oh man, I'll tell you what, it's going to be 12 o'clock and I own a Subway sandwich shop down at the bottom of the tower. So I'm going to go down. I know these guys are going to be pushed and rushed because it's really difficult times coming. I'm going to go down there at 1030. I'm going to put on a hat, put on an apron, put on my gloves. I'm going to, well, whatever the COVID restrictions are now, right? Teasing. Um, and so I'm going to go down there and I'm going to help them get ready. Maybe they don't even know who I am. If they do, that's fine. I'm not worried about making money. I own the companies. I own the building. So I'm not worried about that. I'll go back to the top. I'll go back where my secretaries are. I'll go back where my printers and copiers and computers and all that stuff. I'm not losing anything. But my people know I love them. My people know I care about them. Would you be spiritually great? You need to know who you are. First thing, before we go, stop and worship Christ. Stop and humble yourself before him and worship the one who loved you so much that he loved you and he loved you again. Stop and worship Christ and then know that you're not of this world. Know that you're born of the Father. Know that you're born of the Spirit. And out of that knowing, you and I can go rank ourselves lower than we ever thought and we can go and we can serve other folks because we don't have to worry about our reputation. You know who you are. And you can go and you can serve others. And get ready for the Lord to lead you into more and more self-denying service as we do this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. And we thank you for John. And as he's writing under inspiration these wonderful words for us to consider the motivation of our Lord Jesus Christ that he loves and he loves again. And Father, we pray that, Lord, you would teach us to love you and love our wives and our children and our church members and our friends and neighbors and help us to love them again, even sometimes when our love is trampled. And Lord, I pray that you would help us remember who you are and help us to remember who we are in Jesus Christ and help us enter into more and more self-denying love and labor for you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.